This is episode 122 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Winter Youth 2006. This is session six. All right, this is my last night. So I thought I'd dress nice tonight. But I, I told you I was a baller on a budget. But no, just mess with All right, all right. This is it for me, and I'm done, and I'm going to miss y'all, but I miss my family more. Okay, so, um, but have you guys enjoyed yourself this whole weekend? And you know what, I... Tonight we're going to move and kind of hopefully make sense of all this stuff, at least in terms of what I've been saying in the evening times, and just kind of bring this whole message, this whole thing about the gospel and grace and what it looks like, hopefully we will climax and come to a head today and you'll walk out of here all nice, tidied up, neat and buttoned up and, and just alive. All right, but I want to get in the Bible first, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to do what we do, right? Okay, turn to Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to read, pray, and go at it. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. All right, starting in verse 1, Galatians chapter 4. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir, say heir, is a child, he's no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his fathers. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God had sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because your sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. In this text, we keep hearing slave, slave, slave. You're no longer a slave. You don't have to be a slave. Don't don't think, act, submit yourself as a slave. When you get this text, the heart of God is to make you a son and to live in that sonship. We live in a culture that doesn't get that in Christianity and outside of Christianity. 
And we live in a culture in, in California, well, California, definitely, but in America, we live in a culture that's like, you know, everything is about self-help. It's about paradigms and principles and formulas and systems. And the gospel cuts across the grain of all that. In fact, you can go into Barnes and Noble, you can go into any secular bookstore, you can go into any Christian bookstore, and you'll see bookshelf after bookshelf of self-help books promising you power to tap into your potential. The problem with tapping into your potential points to a deeper issue. People that constantly need to tap into their potential reveals the fact that they don't have a lot of actual. And we come to these conferences and sure, you know, we, it's, it's, there's a certain energy and synergy to be in a group like this. Funny, uh, good music, horn dude is dope. Decent speaking. All right, and and hot chicks, hot hot dudes. Maybe there might be a connection. And then there's some of you not even thinking about that stuff. You just always in the presence of God, right? At least 98% of you are like that. There's that real, real heathen 2% that just come here for just, just ill motives. <laughs> But what does actual look like? What does change look like? The problem that we face when we talk about, excuse me, I have, I, I'm horrible in terms of my charts and all that. I do the best I can, okay? But I, I'm, a, I'm a visual guy, so I have to see it when I preach it. Is that cool with you guys? So when we talk about actual, when we talk about change, most of you guys come here and you get inspired by the worship and the teaching and the fellowship and the dialogue that happens in the small group, and you want to change. There's a desire underneath you that says, man, I, I'm not where I want to be, but I definitely want to be where I'm not. I want to grow. I want to change. I want more, less potential, more actual in my life. But what does change look like? What does change look like? The problem is, is that we've been sold a bad bill of goods. Because as soon as people start talking about change, they say, oh, it's easy. First thing you need to do is just get, a, you know, really get going on your spiritual disciplines, right? And spiritual disciplines look like what? You know, we got to pray. We got to fast. We got to read our Bibles. You know what I'm saying? Go on a couple of mission trips. Just get rolling on stuff that's in the Bible. Then... We also have the second counterpart to change. It's called personal convictions, okay? Personal convictions. And personal convictions is, okay, so, so spiritual disciplines means you, you need to be praying and reading and doing all this stuff. And then personal convictions mean you need to be careful who you hang out with. So, you know, you don't listen to certain music, you don't watch certain uh, you know, certain movies, you don't run around the wrong crowd, you don't want to ruin your witness, you get into a lot of Bible clubs at your, at your, uh, on your campus, you, you go to your youth group, and you have your nice little Jesus click, right? And you're doing Jesus, right? Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt, it's all about Jesus. 
right? And you, and, and you got your nice little Jesus clan, and, and you got your nice personal convictions, and you're doing your spiritual disciplines, and you're spinning your plates, and, you know, you're getting down. The problem with all this, as we associate it with change, is that many times it doesn't feel like change. It feels more like work than it does change. And don't get me wrong, work requires, uh, change requires work. But it's a different kind of work. And here's what I mean by this. You got my man right here, right? Stick man. All right? And stick man, here's this, this is his heart, okay? Look at stick man's heart. And that's all it is, his heart, all right? And you guys are in sin, all of y'all. Okay? And so in your heart, you're struggling with sin. All of us are here. You know, we struggle with sin every day. There isn't a moment that doesn't go by that doesn't need to be sanctified by the perfect work of Jesus. But that sin drives us to guilt. I feel guilty about all the stuff I either do or think about. And the way we assuage the guilt, the way we deal with the guilt, is we have a tendency to create some law. That's L, law. So in other words, I'm going to fix this thing in me. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the Christmas retreat. I'm going to go do a summer youth camp or a missions trip, or I'm going to get into a Bible intensive group, or I'm going to get into accountability group. We do something to try and fix ourselves. We create some standard, some rule, some discipline, some conviction that we think is going to fix us. This is what we all do. I have this tendency. You have this tendency. The problem is, is that the law was never set up in the Bible to fix sin. It's like when you go to a doctor and if you've got a hairline fracture on your wrist and you go to the doctor and you don't know that and the nurse comes in and takes x-rays of your wrist and then comes back 15 minutes later to show you the results of the x-ray and then the nurse decides that they're going to start operating on your wrist and they start bringing out all the med medical procedures to start fixing your wrist. You might look at the nurse crazy because the nurse is, set up, is certified to identify the problem, but they're not cer certified to fix the problem. They can't act as the physician. They're only set up to prepare you for the physician. And when you understand the law, the law, when God showed the attributes of who he was and related to Israel, he gave him the law to be as a reflection of who he was, to show that people, human beings, standing in the presence of God are unholy before a holy God. And so when we talk about the law in the Bible, the law was never designed to fix us. It was to show us our problem. It was never designed to be the doctor or the physician. It was to prepare us for the great physician, which is Jesus. As soon as you start trying to fix yourself through all your spiritual disciplines, you abuse the very thing God set up for you to experience him. And that's exactly what we do. We have sin. The sin creates all kind of uh, guilt and distortion in our life. And we try and deal with that guilt by concocting some law in our life. 
And guess what the law does? All the law does is arouse sin. You ever had somebody tell you don't do something? And your natural reaction or your first impulse is to do the thing they told you not to do? That's sin. And the law aggravated that thing in your heart called sin. And so here we are. We've got sin. That sin drives us to guilt. We create a law. That law uh, 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 opens that door for sin in our life. That sin drives us to more guilt. That guilt drives us to the law. And here we are. Sin, guilt, law. 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 And we spend years and years and years. This becomes this. Because spiritual disciplines is what I do to change. And personal convictions is what I don't do to keep changing. And the sad reality of most of our Christianity is that we have reduced it down to doing this and not doing that. And that's the gospel message. You know and I know that that will never change your life. We reduce it down to just don't, just do this, don't do this, just stop sinning. And we don't have a gospel. What we really have is a gospel of sin management where all we do is manage our sin, but we really don't attack and deal with the sin underneath the sin. And that's what we see here in this text. When we read Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, we don't have to read it, but you've got to understand that he's talking about two types of people. You've got on one side slaves and on the other side sons. And there's a contrast between the two. They're different. They look the same. But the motivation as to why they do what they do is entirely different. You see, in this text, a slave is a person that works for his master's approval. A son understands that he has his master's approval before he even lifts up any tools to start working. A slave is not sure if the master approves of his work. A son understands that, he, that he's approved long before he starts working. The son is an heir. The, ma- the, the, the slave is not quite sure his position before the master. And what is an heir? An heir is what? You guys know Paris Hilton. I'm not trying to promote her, but she's an heiress. Basically, what this means is she's got rich off of somebody else. Listen, when you understand that you're a son or a daughter in God, when you get the gospel, you realize that the wealth, the riches that you have isn't anything that you've done. It's something that was done for you. In other words, you are rich off of what Jesus has done. That is the good news of the gospel. So my question then is this. What does change look like? I mean, Eric, we got to do something. 
What does change look like? Well, change is the gospel. It's the person of Christ and the work of Christ. That's the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Christ. The person of Christ, this is my security. And the cross here, the work of Christ, is my victory. Here's what I'm trying to say. If you reduce your change and growth down to your spiritual disciplines and convictions, when do you do them perfectly? You never do. But if your security is in all the stuff that you do do and don't do for God, you will always be insecure about where you stand before him. But unless you understand that your security is not in this or this, because this will always create all kind of confusion in your life, all kind of insecurity in your life, until you understand that the security you have isn't in what you do, it's in what Jesus has done for you. Until you understand the person of Christ, that he lived and died in your place, until you understand this reality, you'll live in a kind of Christianity that I described last night. You either live irreligiously or religiously, but you won't live in the gospel. Victory. The beautiful good news of the gospel is not just the person of Christ, but his work. The fact that we can, as I said last night, head to the locker room and pop those bottles because he's already won it for us on the cross. And the reason why we sin, the reason why we struggle with sin is because we don't believe that he won it for us. We don't believe that the victory's been achieved. And when you work thinking that you're achieving it through your work, that's because you don't believe in the finished work that Jesus accomplished for you. So what's my role? Are you telling me that I don't have to work? Are you telling me I don't have to do anything? No, I'm not saying that. But here's the work. Our role is faith. How many times did Jesus kept rebuking the disciples because they were of little faith? When I said a couple of nights ago, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. It's to strengthen our faith and dependence and reliance on him. Every time that I feel insecure because I not think I measure up, I need to preach the gospel. That my life is hidden in him. That my security is not the fact that I've blown it. Because you know how we do it. We have these good day, bad days. You know, I wake up early in the morning, I have a prayer time, I read my Bible, I go to school, I'm at the locker, I'm getting ready to go to class, and somebody comes right next to me in the stall right next to me, and they definitely have a need, and they strike up a conversation, and somehow the conversation kind of evolves into me, witnessing to them, and they, they tear up a little bit, and they say, where do you go to church? And you say, I go to such and such church, and you pick them the next Wednesday night for youth group. That was a good day, wasn't it? You did your disciplines, you prayed, you, but what happens the next day? You wake up late, you're rushing out the house, you're in a crabby mood, you head to school, you just not, you just don't feel good. 
You get to the locker, another person comes with an obvious need. You don't feel qualified because you weren't spinning plates. Your security was in that instead of him. Listen, some of my best sermons that I've ever preached, and I'm not advocating this, there are times when I will preach and I didn't have a lot of time to prepare and I'm saying to myself, I didn't do enough. I know God can't bless tonight. And God comes through to remind me that this thing is all about him. I want you guys to understand that if your faith is not in the person and work of Christ, it's going to be hard to live as a Christian. Am I throwing out disciplines? Absolutely not. But here's what I'm saying. Prayer strengthens your faith. Fasting is designed to strengthen your faith. Remember what I said? You don't go past the gospel into more sophisticated prayer. You go deeper into the gospel through prayer. Listen, everything that we do strengthens our resolve, our trust, our dependence in him. If you're sitting at a dinner table and you've got utensils and someone brings you turkey, someone brings you a turkey and gravy and stuffing and all the nice little food you eat on Thanksgiving, the utensils are designed to serve as a means of helping you enjoy the food, but they're not the food themselves. Listen, all these disciplines, they're utensils. They're a means of experiencing the meal, the bread, the manna that's come down from heaven, Jesus. But as soon as you start trusting in the utensils, you go sideways. I want you to understand tonight, your work is to trust him. And every discipline that Craig talked about today is a means of strengthening your resolve and trust and dependence on him. But when you blow it, it isn't because you didn't pray enough. And when you sin, it isn't because you didn't fast enough. And when you make mistakes and don't live accordance with the Bible, it isn't because you didn't have enough conviction. That's just the fruit, the real root of why you did what you did was because you did not believe Jesus in that area of your life. That's the root. That's the sin underneath the sin, unbelief. That's the sin that says, I'm going to be my own savior. I think this thing will save me in a way that Jesus can't. And we all have those idols going on in our heart that Jesus came to destroy. And until we deal with those idols... We create all kind of confusion in our Christianity. Tonight, God wants you to be a son, not a slave. Tonight, God wants to come and transform your life. But he wants you 
to not have a greater resolve that you're going to roll up your sleeves and be the, a better Christian or store up enough spiritual energy to really try and change yourself, that ain't going to work. I didn't di- Look, I've been serving God 23 years. After a while, you just get, you bottom out on that kind of spirituality. The life-changing message is the good news of the gospel that comes into your heart and transform you, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. That's the beauty of the gospel. And your Christianity starts in faith and it's carried along in faith and it ends in faith. And everything that you do deepens that. So am I against work? Absolutely not. Am I against conviction? Absolutely not. Am I against spiritual discipline? Absolutely not. You will be weak in your faith if you don't have them working in your life. But our problem is is that we worship the work. We don't know how to put the work in its proper context and it ends up ruining us. Look with me in a couple of verses here in Galatians. It says in verse 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that he might receive the full rights of sons, Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. Do you see here? Here's what happened. God had two sendings. He sent his son in verse 4. And in verse 7, it says he sent the spirit of his son. Here's what it's saying. We were in bondage to the law. We needed redemption because we were sinners and we could not meet the requirements of the law and so Jesus came. He punched punched a, a, a hole in humanity and came down here and dwelt among men and he lived the perfect life you could never live and met all the requirements of the law and then went to the cross and dealt a death blow to sin and took God's wrath all the way down to the dregs for you. And now God says, (laughs) those that are thirsty and hungry, let them come and drink of me because in me, the requirements of the law have been met. You don't have to live a perfect life. Your perfections are now in Jesus. And so God sent his son to to defeat the power, the, the sway that the law had over us. God dealt with it through his son by living it for you. Remember what I said last night? It's not just the teachings of Jesus, but the actions of Jesus. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion. God sent his son so that we would experience justification, that we would experience the fact that now our life, whether we are doing great or doing terrible, is hidden in Jesus. And he sent the spirit of his son What is the role of the Spirit? The role of the Spirit is to allow us to experience Christ every day of our life. 
And that's why you've got to stop listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. You've got to stop listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. And what do I mean by that? That means every day you're going to feel accused. Every day you feel condemned. Every day you don't feel like you measure up. Every day you won't be satisfied. Every day you'll see shortcomings in your life. Every day you'll wonder why you didn't break into this pack. Every day you always feel like you're never measuring up. If you listen to that every day, it'll destroy you. It's the law talking to you. And that's why you don't listen to yourself. You've got to preach to yourself every day to counterattack that by saying, my hope is in the cross. My security is in him. I measure up in Jesus. He met the standard for me. I'm imperfect in myself, but in Christ, I'm perfectly perfect. If you're not preaching the gospel to yourself every day, then you're going to listen to yourself every day. And no matter how much discipline and convictions you try and do to deal with that voice in your head, you won't have the power through that to defeat it. The only true power to defeat that is to preach the gospel and to trust the gospel every day of your life. And that's one of the hardest works there is. And so God sent two things. He sent his son to meet, all, to, to meet all the requirements that we could not meet. He sent his son. And he also sent the spirit of his son so that we could experience him in his work every day of our life. That's what it means. To preach his acceptance over our life. To preach that the final verdict has come in, that God looks at me and says, well done. To realize that, that my life is hidden in him, so when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me through the lens of my the front. We don't have to be anything that we're not. We can let our hair down and breathe. That is the power of the gospel, that we can show weakness. In fact, allow God to be glorified in our weakness, even in front of our friends that don't know Jesus. Yes, we want to be a witness, but a witness of what? A witness of my behavior? Come on, a witness that goes into court, their role is to testify everything that they saw and heard. That's the goal of a witness. Listen, when you talk about being a witness, it's testifying. It's saying, I've seen and I've experienced experientially Jesus in my life. And the fruit of it is that I'm in tune with my humanity, the good, the bad, the wonder, and the woe. <laughs> and that is the beauty of the gospel, that you don't have to be anything else. And when you get that flowing through your veins, as I close tonight, as you get that flowing through your vein, two things happen. You become confident without being arrogant. And you become broken.
and you're humble without being self-deprecating. You don't beat yourself up. You're not in this pity pit because you realize that even on your worst day, God, grace is there. So where do you want to be tonight? What is the heart of the gospel? The heart of the gospel is the person and work of Jesus. That your security, your victory is in him. That everything that he lived and did is yours by faith. And every work that we do is not to curry favor before God. It's not to be driven by this need to feel worthy. But every work we do strengthens that faith, strengthens that resolve to trust and depend and rely on him. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what it means to come out of darkness into light. This is what it means to live in accordance with the gospel. This is what it means to preach it to yourself every day in faith. This is why you need to know the Bible. This is why you need to pray. This is why you need to do your spiritual disciplines because it allows you to preach the truth of what he's done in your life. And if you don't have that arsenal, you, what kind of ammunition to strengthen your faith to really even believe that? This is the beauty of the gospel worked out in your life, a life lived out in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for grace today. We thank you for the gospel that we no longer have to be slaves. God, we're sons, we're daughters, that you stand over us and your banner is love and grace, that everything we do is framed in that. Lord, those that have been beat up by their own conscience, those that emotionally get tripped up by themselves, over themselves, those that have a hard time really trusting you, I pray, God, that you would go deep tonight. I pray that you would come in and transform them in a way that that nothing they've attempted thus far could. We need you in our life tonight. We need grace. We need glory. But we, we don't spend plates today. We don't look to our performance. We don't look to our goodness. We don't add anything to the gospel. We, we come today and we say, Lord, be real. You sent your son. You sent your spirit. Allow the spirit to give me the power to experience the reality of what's been said this whole weekend. The gospel. Lord, I just pray for every young person in this room that they would that this truth would go deep, real deep, exceedingly deep in their heart. Today, Lord, just 
move in this room. Connect the dots. Make it all make sense. Let grace prevail in our hearts today. Let them know how simple it is to serve you. It's not easy, but it's simple. (laughs) Lord, let us see how simple the gospel is and to believe and trust it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.